Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Sequatin territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequatin-Ulu. And we have no territorial acknowledgement this week because we are heading over to Germany for the mm-hmm. book Center of the World by Andreas Steinhoffel and the film Center of My World, which we're going to need to talk about that title change, Joe, because I have questions. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, so the book is from 1998. The film is from 2016. We're mm-hmm. sort of in the world of like queer coming of age. Very much so. I'm glad we looked at this text. I have some thoughts about the adaptation in particular. So I'm really curious about which one it is in German. Like maybe one of mm. our German listeners can write in and let us know because, oh man, I have so many questions about the title just in general. But Joe, <laughs> yes, we're in queer coming of age territory. Uh-huh. Before we even do the synopsis, I want to know how you felt about this text. Uh, so this was an interesting one. I quite liked the book in some ways because it is so laissez-faire about mm. its approach to queerness. You know, there's no Rocky coming out. The ambivalence is, I don't want to admit that I have feelings for this boy, not, ooh, are you queer? Yeah. So I kind of liked how Phil and his surrounding family and friends are just okay with it. And then the film to me is very quintessentially queer coming out cinema. Let's focus on the cute boys. <laughs> So much cute boys. So much floppy hair. (laughs) Definitely to the detriment of some of the other characters, and particularly Diana, but we'll talk about all that. Let me give you a synopsis, listeners. Okay. If you aren't familiar with the text. Okay. So our text is about uh, our protagonist, Phil, his twin sister, Diane, his slightly whacked out mom, Glass, who Mm -hmm. they can't call mom because she doesn't like it. Well, she's very young. Let's not forget that. Yeah, and that's there's this parallel happening because when the book opens, Phil and Diane are 17, and Mm -hmm. Glass was 17 when she had Phil and Diane. So there's this whole like sort of circular thing happening in the text. Mm -hmm. Um, Glass is like this escape artist who (laughs) who got pregnant (laughs) in the US and ran away from her family and everything she knew to this aunt, I guess, sister. It's her sister, yeah. It's her sister, right. And they live in this – her sister is not part of the equation. They live in this ramshackle, like – It's a rundown castle, It's a rundown castle, yeah, it is. It's like a manor house. They only live in some of the rooms and and Glass is like – She's just, she just doesn't fit in. And as a result, <laughs> the kids also just don't fit in. And this well, has- Well, Brenna, you're bearing the lead. The reason she doesn't fit in is because she's slutty. Oh, yeah. She's super slutty. Um, and the film makes more of this actually than the book does. Like, it's true. In the book, there's lots of affairs, but the men are not like, they're present, but I don't know. It's interesting. The kids seem more screwed up about it in the film than they do in the book, most mm-hmm. mostly. What Phil is really upset about at the core is that he doesn't know who his father is. Glass has kept that information from her children. They have this uh, community around them. Teresa, who is Glass's boss and also was at one point in love with Glass and her partner, Pascal. There's uh, this uncle, 
Gable, who kind of comes mm-hmm. and goes out of life and offers Phil this escape to America at the end of the book. There is, as the book progresses, a new boyfriend who becomes a really critical part of life for Glass. There's also a love interest for Phil. And then there's Phil's best friend, Kat, who is terrible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She's not a very good friend. But as a person, I actually found her quite not relatable, but I feel like I've known a couple of cats. Totally. She's a very well-constructed character just in terms of she feels very, very real. Mm -hmm. Um, She's also super gross, but we'll talk about that more. But basically what we have is a a pretty straightforward coming-of-age story in the sense that, you know, we've read a lot of these coming-of-age within a super chaotic family system Mm -hmm. stories. And will continue to in coming weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And, And Phil is queer and he's, as Joe says, not really like discovering that he's gay, but discovering what it is to like be physical with someone else and to try to tease apart like your emotions from physicality and how difficult that is. Um, And yeah, like it's not a book where a lot happens, but it's also a book where a lot happens. Mm -hmm. I was actually shocked at how long this book is. So I read this uh, electronically from the library and it was like 575 pages. And I thought that that must be wrong. I thought that there must be, you know, check out this author's next book. Here's 20 chapters or something. No, no. It's just, it's a long book, even though it only takes place over the course of maybe six months but we're doing that thing where we're telling a story in the present as phil embarks on this relationship with nicholas and is betrayed by cat and is dealing with this fallout this mystery fallout between his mother and his sister but then we're also flashing back to all of these really significant moments of their childhood as they were growing up that kind of informs how all of the characters interact yeah i i was also staggered by the length I think you and I both had the experience of like hard to get into at times once we were reading mm-hmm. and we were really enjoying it. So into it. Yeah. And I think that part of that came from the fact that like I just kept feeling like I should be making more ground in it than I, I was because I didn't yeah. realize how long it was to begin with. Yeah. I think part of this too is, you know, we've talked for the last couple of weeks how we've been on a bit of a run of these male dominated stories. Mm-hmm. And well, this isn't a thumb sucker or even an apple. No, Phil is way more likable than the thumb sucker protagonist. And mm-hmm. the book is a lot less dark than anything that happens in Apple. Yeah, but it is still one of those things where it's a story with a protagonist who in some ways is the least... He has the least agency or he's the least assertive out of everyone in the book, which sometimes makes him also the least interesting person. Yeah. And for me, I was really captivated by Diane, his sister, and the very strange emergent dynamic between Diane and Glass. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because at the start of the book, Phil has come back from a vacation with Gable. So he's been away for a little while and he comes back and all of a sudden his mother and his sister are no longer talking. And neither one of them want to talk to him about what happened because they feel like it's none of his business. But like, you basically are living in a gothic romance (laughs) castle in the middle of Germany and you show up and all of a sudden the family dynamics are completely different and he's forced to tease it out. And honestly, where this goes, I did not expect it and I was not prepared for it. No, I was definitely not emotionally prepared. And I feel like we should tell listeners there is a very graphic pregnancy loss in this book. 
And what we discover is that there's like this betrayal at the heart of the book where, and we'll talk about this when we get to the film, but I think it's mm -hmm. portrayed very differently in the two texts. Yes. Diane is very curious about plants. Um, mm -hmm. They have access to Teresa's father's collection of books and notes and things and he was a botanist mm -hmm. i mean there's all these side characters who have just <laughs> so many interesting little details Wild which i think lives. is really what keeps the book afloat for mm -hmm. so much of this lengthy duration oh absolutely and so diane has been like experimenting with plants and she knows that you use belladonna to end a pregnancy because of mm -hmm. these notes and when her mother gets pregnant and like diane is upset like yeah. it's really important to note i think something that andrea steinhoffel does extremely well is that glass is a bad mother she's oh, not like, she's a terrible mother she's an interesting person and a really bad mom she's not like a quirky like oh you just have to understand her way of being in the world kind of mom no she's like she's a terrible mother <laughs> She's not abusive, to be clear. No. She's almost just absent. And I think part of it is that because she was a young mother, in some ways she never really got to live. But also she's never taken on the burden of responsibility of being a mother to these two kids. Mm -hmm. So they've just – they've kind of been thrown to the wolves to figure everything out themselves while yes. also being shunned by the community that they have to live in. Yes. And for Diane, this is the this is the crux of it, right? So it's not just that like her mother won't parent her. It's mm -hmm. that her mother ensures that they are so alienated from everybody except Teresa that they have like no one in the no. community who they can connect with. And yet, like Diane, as a very small girl, takes it upon herself to terminate her mother's pregnancy and then has to live with the consequences. And I think mm -hmm. the Because she does it secretly. So Glass doesn't mm -hmm. know. Glass just thinks that she miscarries. Yes. And so – and Diane really struggles with the weight of this. At the same time – and it's actually in the book version, it's about midway through the book where we find mm -hmm. out about Phil going away and having this adventure with Gable. In the movie, it's sort of the inciting action of the film. When he comes back, the other thing that happened while they were away is that it turns out like Diane has had a boyfriend this whole time that nobody knows mm -hmm. anything about. And he was on his way to visit her when this bad storm hits and he's struck by like, I don't know, a chunk of a tree or something. Mm -hmm. And he's in a coma that he's never going to wake up from. Yes. And Diane has been entirely alone with this. Yeah. Because Glass is not like a parent. <laughs> no. And, and it, it should be noted that Diane and Phil are twins and yes. they were really, really close for a period of time. And then at a certain point, Diane became more secretive and mm -hmm. she would go off on walks in the middle of the night by herself. And she had friends that she wasn't telling Phil about. And Phil kind of let it happen. Yeah. Because he was more interested in doing his own thing. But then when he comes back after this trip with his uncle and realizes something is different, he now wants that relationship. But he's also so freaking passive yes. that he he so often will just not even address it. Like, he'll say, Diane, do you want to bike to school together? And she'll say, no, I've got other things to do. And then he gets upset. But yeah. he complains to Teresa about it. Or he complains to Glass about it. And it's like... Boy, just <laughs> talk to the person and say what you're actually thinking and feeling. Except for Nicholas. Don't tell Nicholas that you love him. No, God, please don't. <laughs> the one time you open your damn mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, like we've got this character like Diane who is carrying all of this drama. And yes. what we mostly spend our time with is 
how that trauma impacts Phil. Mm-hmm. And I will say that because Phil is immensely likable, this book weathers the fact that Phil is less interesting than a lot of the side characters much right. better than most of the other texts we've looked at that had this as kind of a central issue. Yes, I would agree with that. I think a big part of this is that Phil is likable and there's enough there, like there's enough substance to Mm -hmm. him that you're willing to bear the fact that so much of the book is him observing other more interesting lives. Yeah, totally. Um, (laughs) What do you make of the romance in the book? I know we'll talk about it separately in the film, but what did you make of his romance with Nicholas? So I'll confess... It's very much one of those, oh, Phil is in love with Nicholas, and you can tell that Nicholas is just kind of entertaining the physicality of Mm -hmm. this because he's aloof. He's mysterious, like a lot of the other characters in this book. And he very much doesn't want to own queerness as an identity. No, no. And as we come to realize over the course of the text, Nicholas, he's a runner. He's got a complicated relationship with his own parents. And we eventually learn that his father travels a lot and that his mother is dealing with some pretty crippling mental illness, which actually prevents her from being a good mother. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of parallels. But Nicholas is also a bit of a quiet weirdo. He collects Mm -hmm. discarded objects from other people and he writes, frankly, two well-worded prose (laughs) stories about them. Like he, he could be his own author. And I think it's the sort of one part of the novel that doesn't ring true because it Mm -hmm. doesn't read like a teen boy's voice. It reads like a professional adult author. Oh, hard agree. Those stories aren't bad enough. They needed to be worse. They needed to be bad. They're yeah. they're good. I would have read an entire book of just fantasy fairy tale short stories. Agreed. But yeah, I mean, it's fascinating because in a lot of queer literature and films, we see this kind of doomed team romance. And it feels very evident from the start that Phil is far more interested and invested in the relationship than Nicholas. So you're just waiting for it to fall apart. And well, I didn't expect that it was going to be a kind of bisexual betrayal where Nicholas ends up sleeping with Kat because, of course, Kat is jealous of anything yes. that anyone else has. Kat cannot <laughs> handle the idea that Phil has something that she doesn't have, so she goes and takes it, and she's such a bad friend, and I'm still mad at her. Well, what's interesting is that I feel like if this story had been written from a more contemporary point of view, because this is still, you know, this is late 90s, I actually feel like the story would have tentatively ventured into a maybe we can have an open relationship Mm -hmm. with the three of us like that would have felt much more contemporary but by virtue of when it's written i think this is very much a oh this is the worst thing that could happen to a young gay boy is the discovery that the person he likes who he's sleeping with actually also goes for girls Mm -hmm. yeah i think what i really wanted was for phil to recognize that cat was a bad friend Right. Separate from the betrayal, because she's actually a bad friend long before that, right? She can't handle him having any, like, separate interests. She's horrible to his sister, even though Mm -hmm. it's clear that his sister's withdrawal from him is deeply painful to Phil. Right. Like, she's she's just awful in so many ways. (laughs) And it feels... But she's also the only person who's ever really been there for him, right? Like, totally. I appreciate what you're saying, 
because I completely agree with it. And yet it's so understandable why they have been friends for this long. Oh, totally. Because no one else in town will engage with these twins. Well, totally. And that's part of it too, right? Is that Kat is really using her friendship with Phil to be edgy and cool, right? Mm, like it's mm-hmm. it's part of how she distances herself from the rest of the town. Well, and her father is the headmaster. So this is yes. typical rebellion. Typical rebellion. And I guess what I wanted was for him to be like, oh, yeah. This has been a bad relationship in all kinds of ways. Instead, (laughs) what it ends up being is like all wrapped up in the physical betrayal with Mm -hmm. Nicholas. And he doesn't get to that place of being like, actually, a lot of people use me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And maybe I need to work on that. (laughs) I will say one of the things that I found quite satisfying is as we edge towards the end of the book and Bill kind of starts to realize, okay, I do need to be a more active player in my life. The people that I care about, like Teresa and Pascal, are actually moving away, which means that I can't rely on their kindness and their generosity and even their advice giving. Mm -hmm. So it felt like characters were actually moving forward without feeling overly pat. Like, oh, everything has been wrapped up. I actually found this ending tremendously satisfying, not in that I got everything I wanted because I definitely didn't, Mm -mm. but because all the endings felt really true like i'm glad he ghosted cat effectively at the end like that worked Mm -hmm. for me um those kinds of choices i think were really were really good like i i genuinely think structurally this book works really well yeah i think structurally this book is very well constructed like Mm -hmm. so many things pay off and they happen at the right moment when you need them in the story is when they show up And the flashbacks work really well, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it would be really easy for this book to feel very overloaded by flashback. And I think Mm -hmm. there are times in the film where I did feel that. Although I I really like the younger actors and they're nice to watch. So that part was softened by that. But I'm surprised by how I didn't feel like the flashbacks were gimmicky in the book because there are so many of them. And it would be really easy to kind of be like, oh, but you're right. Every single piece of information you learn in a flashback eventually pays off mm-hmm. huge dividends in the larger structure of the novel. Yeah. But not in a way, again, that feels cloying or, hey, remember Chekhov's X, it's going to come back and it's mm-hmm. going to be meaningful. Like, it should be almost pedantic when Nicholas gives him the snow globe that he lost when he was a young child. And that was when he first saw Nicholas and fell in love, but they didn't exchange words or anything. And yet it doesn't. It feels immensely gratifying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. But you, you broached the film. So I wonder if maybe we should transition over and we can talk about where the film, I think, succeeds as an adaptation, but also doesn't quite hit the mark. Yes, although we're going to have to come back to the novel to talk about the title because I find it confusing, but yes, go ahead. <laughs> das bin ich. Und das ist meine Familie. Glass, meine Mom, meine Sister, Diane. Und das sind andere Familien und ihre Leben, an die sich Glass unter gar keinen Umständen anpassen will. Hey, Diane, was ist mit der los? Nix. Darf ich um Ihre Aufmerksamkeit bitten? 
Okay, so as you alluded, the film has an abbreviated title, so it is Center of My World instead of The Center of the World. It was made in 2016. This is a German-Austrian co-production by Jakob M. Erwa. So we've got Louis Hoffman as Phil, Sabine Timoteo as Glass, Yannick Schumann as Nicholas, Ada Feline Stappenbeck as Diane, Svenja Young as Kat. Uh, we haven't really talked much about Michael. That's Glass's new paramour, who is the closest thing I've ever seen to a manic pixie dream adult. <laughs> it's true. And he's. I, I love him, but I was just like, you, sir, are perfect, <laughs> and you need to get out of this book before this family ruins you. <laughs> true run for your life michael <laughs> but michael is played by sasha alexander gersak and then we have inka friedrich as Teresa, nina prohl as pascal and those are all the people that matter yeah yeah joe okay talk to me about this title well I don't think I understand it as the title of the book. The film mm -hmm. then is so heavy handed with it as the title. Like we uh. have a whole spoken sequence. Okay. In general, I do not love it when the title of the movie comes up in the dialogue of the movie. <laughs> Are you Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm always like, this is on the nose. And mm -hmm. here it's so on the nose. Honestly, that's probably an accurate description of my feelings of about the film in general. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that the book does exceptionally well. And I spent a lot of the time when I was reading it thinking, how are they going to do all of this in the film? And the answer is that they do the typical adaptation approach, right? Where they kind of cut out a lot of the complicated nuance bits of the book. So we still get most of the same beats. I would actually say this is a relatively good adaptation. Mm -hmm. But then... The stuff that is deep and meaningful and it, it takes its time in the book, we don't have the luxury of that mm -hmm. in the film. So we end up with the sort of more pedantic, more cloying, more heavy-handed stuff. And I think that's really embodied by the title change where it's like, let me literally explain to you <laughs> what this means. And they have this conversation between Glass and the young version of Phil where he's like, what is the center of the world? And then she's like, hmm, here are some ideas. And then at the end, he's like, it turns out these people are the center of my world. And it's just a lot. In the book, I may have audibly groaned, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and, and folks, I want to make it clear. I actually really enjoyed this movie. I think this is actually a quintessential example of if I hadn't read the book, I would probably think that this movie is very strong. Mm -hmm. So I, I do still heartily endorse the film. I find it very enjoyable. It's gorgeous to look at. Also, um, it's also the most beautiful cast. It's also right? the most beautiful cast we've ever seen. Like these people are ridiculously <laughs> attractive. I if I had seen these two boys in this love story with also full frontal nudity. Mm -hmm. Hello. Um, I would have found this a very important film if I was coming out as a teenager. We'll put it that way. <laughs> These people are all gorgeous. They're beautiful to watch. The cinematography is also beautiful. But even mm -hmm. like, you know, we're used to the two central characters being beautiful. Mm -hmm. But like, everyone is everyone. beautiful. Like, Teresa and Pascal. Pascal is like <laughs> nothing like the book, by the way. <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, we should address that. I think that our listeners would be, they would find it remiss if we didn't acknowledge that 
in the book, there are some pretty rude and yeah. very, I don't know, like, Phil has difficulty with people who aren't conventionally attractive. So yeah. he likes people who are pretty. And then we get people like Pascal, who are, you know, by all accounts, a fantastic human being, a little bit abrasive because she does not mince words when it comes yeah. to Phil. And his descriptions of her is just how ugly she is and how big her hands are and how masculine she is. And I think a big part of this is Phil is a very young gay man and he is attracted by beauty and nice things. And he hasn't learned that there is a value to things that aren't always mm -hmm. 100% visually appealing from your unique perspective. Like he is a babe in the woods and he needs to grow up. I mean, his his descriptions of Pascal are awful. Yes. His descriptions of character like Wolf are also really, really awful. And we haven't even talked about that whole... No. ...not in the, in the book, which isn't in the film. So it's not relevant here, really. But um, yeah, it, it's difficult sometimes to read his descriptions. And mm -hmm. so when you transition then to a film, which appears to have been entirely cast of supermodels... <laughs> It's yeah, it's pretty funny. So my other con I liked the film. Let me okay. start there. I really did yeah. genuinely enjoy the film. And I felt like a lot of the pacing choices that they made were really smart. Like, there's a lot of things that the film can't do mm. that the book does in a much more complex and nuanced way. That said, like, I agree with everything you said earlier. Things like the reveal of Diane's lover who is now in a coma they don't work mm. in the film because you don't have no. any time to get emotionally connected to even the idea that Diane is distant, really. Mm -hmm. That said, I think it is Diane's character who bums me out the most in okay. the film. Yeah, you mentioned this to me in a series of texts, and I want you to unpack that because I didn't feel quite the same way, but I also feel like you had a stronger emotional connection to Diane in the book. Yeah, I did. I found her really interesting. And I think that she's a really interesting study in trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Like, in many ways, Phil presents himself as untouched by the trauma of their childhood, right? right. Yeah. Um, he's lying. Oh, but... 100%. He has not processed anything. Whereas <laughs> Diane is far more emotionally complex and mature. Yeah. And even though Diane has done this horrible thing to her mother... In the book, you get this real sense that it has emerged out of a place of trauma mm -hmm. and that she has tried so hard to process it. But then when her mother starts to get close to another man and she's going through hell with this boy, there's no one for her to turn to and she kind of snaps and she confesses mm -hmm. all to her mother. And you can see how it all emerges out of trauma. Right. There's a choice that's made in the film. In the book, Diane confesses all of this to her brother. Like, they finally connect again, and mm -hmm. she unloads, like, all of this stuff. And really, it's a moment for Phil to be like, oh, I actually also checked out. Like, I have <laughs> not been present in my sister's life. And yeah. it's this moment for them to rebuild their relationship, which I think is very persuasively reconnected at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the film, it's not Diane who confesses everything to her brother. It right. all comes from Glass. And in general, Glass and Phil are much closer to each other in the film version than they are in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it makes sense in the film that Glass would make that confession. But it also really undercuts Diane's yes. redemption. Because then – and also, like, the little girl who plays young Diane is a phenomenal actress mm -hmm. and also very scary. 
(laughs) (laughs) And there's this sense of like, just like deep premeditation and like planning to destroy this baby. And like, Mm -hmm. there's something very, I think it's it's horror movie-esque, isn't it? Yes. And because Diane doesn't get that moment of confession, when Phil confronts her about it, her reaction is so withdrawn still because they're still in that space emotionally Mm -hmm. that she comes across as somewhat sociopathic. Like, yep, I did it. And that's what happened. And I just felt like there's so much that she has to say about the trauma of their childhood that Phil can't see or acknowledge that losing that loses a lot of the underlying complexity of really why Phil is so easily drawn to Nicholas, right? Mm -hmm. That like that, that notion of kind of a love that isn't fully present is very appealing to Nicholas for a reason, right? Yeah. What's so interesting is how Phil is completely unaware of that within himself. I, I actually think it is one of the better things that the film does is acknowledge to us as an audience, but almost not to Phil that he he is attracted to that aloofness. Like, mm-hmm. as much as he craves the attention of someone like Cat or Glass, like these really big personality women, and to a lesser extent, I would say Teresa and Pascal, but they're not as dominant characters in the film, he's actually far more like his sister and yes. like Nicholas, but he just won't accept it. But also in the film version, like, Nicholas is not nearly so withholding, right? So it no. is a lot more confusing of a relationship in the film. Like, in the book, it's really obvious. <laughs> but mm-hmm. in the film, so there's this whole ongoing thing about, like, Nicholas won't kiss Phil in the book. And there's, like, right. they have all this physical intimacy, but to share a kiss and to be public about their relationship is not something yes. that they're going to do. And let me just quickly interrupt you, because that's actually a very real issue mm. among, like certain types of gay men where it's like the most intimate thing that you can do with a person is not any of the actual intimate parts it's the kiss the kiss is the like no that's too gay i will not do that yeah and that's definitely the the impression that you get in the book right is that this is about like physical release for Mm -hmm. nicholas and about being flattered and about like finding finding phil's body attractive but not Mm -hmm. anything about like building a relationship i have no interest in doing anything more with this this is a purely physical transactional interaction yes so we have we have that all going on (laughs) we have Mm -hmm. all that going on in the book and in the film i mean you're not gonna have these two beautiful men not kiss each other like Mm -hmm. you're just not and also the intimacy that they share is really beautiful and it's captured on film really beautifully Mm -hmm. but it's also not nearly as clear in the film version that there's nothing here emotionally for Nicholas. Yeah. I will confess that the way you feel about Diane is the way that I feel about Nicholas Mm. in the film, where he's still not the deepest character in the book, but in the film, it's all shallow. It's all surface level. (laughs) He's just hot. And I mean, (laughs) let's put it on the table. Schumann is unbearably attractive. Like, what a cutie. But Nicholas doesn't have that oddball trait where he's collecting Mm -mm. items and writing stories about them. Like, he still collects things and he still has his kind of museum showcase. But he's really just a hot jock. (laughs) Yes. 
it doesn't work in the film at no. all because you don't believe for a second that this super hot runner guy would also be doing this kind of thing. Whereas in the book, you completely believe it. Well, because in the book, he is also an outcast from the town, right? Like mm -hmm. he passes better at school because he's an athlete, but he's not connected to the town mm -hmm. and his mother's mental illness and his father's absence all play into that. Like there's this real sense in the book, the family always refers to the people in the town as like the little people because they live these like... <laughs> small so compact lives it's so mean like it's so, like <laughs> i wonder why these people don't want to hang out with you um, but it also feels like a shield right like they don't totally. they don't accept us so we push them away like no it's it's us who doesn't want them but it's exactly why someone like nicholas is drawn to phil mm -hmm. because it's safe to be a weirdo with phil yes but he's not a weirdo in the film he's mm -hmm. just a hot jock <laughs> he's just the guy who's new to town yeah, it's a shame. Like, I, I do feel that there's a significant flattening of a lot of that in the film. And yet we're still hitting a lot of the beats. The problem yes. is, is that they just don't emotionally connect in the same way because we just don't have that kind of investment in these characters or we haven't gone on this sort of journey. So well, we're still getting, you know, flashbacks, we're still getting these key moments from the book. So much of it is just kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And one other issue, just to circle back on what you talked about, about the intimacy between Nicholas and Phil, this to me is too quintessentially queer cinema. Like, this doesn't trust that the audience is going to be excited enough about what's going on with these characters that we need to go into a lot of physical stuff. Like, it mm -hmm. needs to be these beautiful bodies on display. I made the joke that we are getting full frontal nudity, but this feels like what queer cinema does to try to get gay butts in seats. Mm. And I'm a little disappointed that we're still doing this in a film from 2016 because that feels like more on the margins festival film as opposed to, you know what, we're telling a good enough story that we don't need to go into titillation. And like a lot of the scenes are like... They are. They're like they're gorgeous lengthy. and they're I, I loved it but also we didn't need it no and unfortunately in this film it does come at the cost of allowing some of the characters to be more complex to spend more time on those more nuanced stories mm -hmm. and to let some of the characters grow like i found the end very annoying for this movie mm -hmm. because it's too pat right it's for everything we said the end of the book offers us we have none of that in the mm -hmm. end of the film in the end of the film, what we have is like, I know there's fireworks in the book too, but like the literal <laughs> fireworks at the end of the film are just like, it's too much. Yeah, even so the film opens with Phil coming back from what is apparently uh, at most one week camp. And apparently his entire life has completely fallen apart while he was gone in his absence. To be fair, it's a three week camp. Sorry. Because his trip to America at the end of the book, which also is only three weeks long, mm. they have this like little parallel line where Diane's like, what could happen in the three weeks that you're gone? Blah, blah, blah. That also kind of sums up what the film does. Right? It's just so... Uh... It's on the nose a little too much for me. The heavy handedness of it is a little too much because the storm in question that effectively kills or renders Diane's boyfriend comatose has also left this kind of clear swath of forest. So it's kind of like, here's the thing that 
is metaphorically representative of, oh, some part of your life has either been destroyed, gone wrong, or been cleared out in your absence, Phil. Welcome home. You're just kind of like, okay, I get it. (laughs) Again, I like a lot of what this film is doing. It's just, it is just a little too surface level for me. Yeah, I agree. Because I think part of what is frustrating is that the actors are all really strong. They could have handled more. Like, mm-hmm. it just feels like a, a really classic case of, of not enough confidence in the performers you have, the story you're telling, and the audience. Mm-hmm. Or a willingness to say, this book is far too dense and complicated mm-hmm. to adapt all of it. Like, we mentioned there's a character from the book named Wolf who Phil had a relationship with as a child and then he did this really horrible example of animal abuse and as a result Mm. Phil cut him off and he ends up becoming an issue later on like Nicholas loses an eye between Kat's ex-boyfriend and this other boy that Phil was dating. It's horrifying. Like the book is actually filled with casual examples of horrifying violence like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the film does away with it because that character is too much. We do away with Uncle Gable because it's too much. But we still keep, I think, too many other parts of the book so that we just can't do them justice. Like we almost needed to get rid of Teresa and Pascal and mm-hmm. give more time to Diane and Glass if we were going to try to do this right. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I hadn't considered that as a way to streamline the film more, but that would have worked because part of the problem in the way the film ends up being constructed, and it's true of the book too, it's just that there's more space to Mm -hmm. breathe. Because Teresa and Pascal exist, Phil always has somewhere he can go. Mm -hmm. He always has an escape. So he never actually has to deal with that central relationship. And as a result, we don't get a very satisfying central relationship either. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the film is just inherently less interested in anything that doesn't have to do with Phil and Nicholas or maybe Phil and Glass. I would honestly say, Joe, that if folks are hearing us talk about it and they're curious, watch the film first. Like, come to the book second. Because I would be curious about what that experience is like. Because I think that there is a lot to the film it's just that there's so much less to the film than the book mm-hmm. that we we as readers miss a lot because we had some expectations. Yeah. You know what? I've often felt this, particularly when we end up saying the film is good if only I hadn't read the book first. <laughs> I think the next go round, so we'll we'll announce what we're covering in a little bit, but I think the next go round for the full length episode Let's start with the film and read the okay. book second and see what happens. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I wish I had done that here. I genuinely do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to play some YA bingo? Of course I want to play some YA bingo. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay. So, whichever center of the slash my world, what have you got? <laughs> the slash my. I still don't... Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give house porn, not that it's like a McMansion or anything, Mm -hmm. which is usually where this square comes up, but because one thing the film does beautifully is execute on visible. Oh, interesting. I don't agree. Oh, wow. Really? Tell me more. I think the book visible sounds so intriguing because it's described as these kind of endless nooks and crannies, like you could never discover all of its secrets. And while I think the film tries to do it, it still just looks like a conventional house to me. Oh, that's interesting. See, I love the interior shots that were just so obviously like 
this is how glass would keep a kitchen, like mm. a disaster. Or like oh, when you sure. walk in the front door and it's got like, like they have that bulletin board covered in mail from like the last mm. 30 years and it's mm-hmm. just like packed up there. Those kinds of details, I really appreciate it. True. Okay. I'll give you that. Okay. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give it road trip for the book. Okay. It's not really a road trip. It's a sea voyage to Greece, but I'm going to count it anyway. Right. Um, I do want to give Manic Pixie Dream adult <laughs> to Michael. Oh, boy. I really love him. And you're right. Yes. This family is going to kill him. <laughs> uh, either that or he – I think he's very emblematic of the kind of change that the family is ready for. So the fact that he ends up being such a vital part of this important chapter in their lives is telling. I think they're all actually maturing. I agree with you. And I think that this is one place where the central focus on Phil in the book is a bit of a problem because I don't think, well, I don't leave with a lot of confidence in Glass. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. That's fair. I think we have some really good friendships in the book. Mm-hmm. It, particularly the friendship between Diane and Phil and the way they're able to rebuild that by the end of the book, I found very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we also have some hollow romances. Yeah, we do. Pretty much everyone who isn't called Glass and Michael. Yes. Yeah. And Glass has like a lot of hollow romances before that one. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> I do I do love her unabashed refusal to say like I meet these men, I sleep with them, and then when they lose their charms, I let them go. You know, there's something very refreshing about that. Can we just say, of all the punches that the film pulls, I found the oddest one to be that the town writes the word bitch on her car instead of whore? Yeah, yeah. Like, why that one? I just thought it was odd. I think it's a more acceptable word to have in a film like this. I guess. I mean, it's full frontal nudity, so like... Uh, I mean, it is also a foreign <laughs> film, so what do we know? What do we know? Feel feel free to educate us, German listeners. We're we're ready, willing, and able to listen. Um, mm-hmm. And I do want to give a shout out to musicality. I actually quite love the way music is used in the film, but not just music, but like soundscapes. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes with a film, when you're watching the subtitles and you're paying attention to what's happening on the screen, the music or the soundtrack can kind of fall away. But right. here, the soundscapes they make this town, they make this place, and I found them really effective. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. So we also have queer secondary characters in Teresa and Pascal. Oh, nice. Yeah. And... um, We have lots of holidays in the book. Right. Yes. Like, we end at New Year's Eve, which I think mm-hmm. is a pretty big holiday set piece. Yeah, and and well, I don't always believe in the quality of the romance between Nicholas and uh, Phil. I will say that the montage of them with Cat mm. on the water to me felt like a pretty nice, perfect date. It's it's almost where I imagine, oh, this film could go into Itu Mama Tambien territory, and maybe it's two boys and a girl. Yeah, I totally agree. It, that was also the moment though, where I was like, this is a very different Nicholas because, like, from Nicholas in the book, who won't like. Who mm-hmm. won't like make eye contact with Phil, and then Nicholas in the film, who's like on a selfie cam making mm-hmm. out with him, right? Oh, but yeah. I, I would yeah. not have missed that opportunity to make those two boys make out either. So sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all this to say, that's not a line, but not a, a very line. healthy smattering. <laughs> 
So next week's episode is Book Club, but I am sorry your window for commenting on We Are Totally Normal has closed, but hopefully you are reading next month's book club pick, Ready When You Are, aka The Boy from the Mish. So uh, mm-hmm. keep thinking about Book Club, keep reading towards it, but yeah, not for We Are Totally Normal. Although, you know, you right. can always sneak it in for a mailbag. Sure. Yeah. And then our next full-length text, which apparently we're going to do a little switcheroo with and watch the film first, is Sort of Like a Rockstar by Matthew Quick. And the film is all together now on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And some folks may discover that the book has actually also been retitled to All Together Now. We're not sure when that might have happened. Brenna has an older copy and hers is still sort of like a rock star. And I think it had something to do with them rebranding when the Netflix movie came out. So they said, oh, let's make it easier to find this book. Yeah, always makes sense when they do that. So make sure you're uh, reading along, writing in. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at BeastOnMyRemote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And for long-form things, of course, the email is your best bet, HKHSPod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe. Well, I enjoyed this. I'm glad we read it. And um, I'm still not 100% sure what the title means. (laughs) (laughs) It's a snow globe illusion, Brenna. Is it though? Is it though? (laughs) (laughs) It's just about finding the center of your world in the people that you love. Barf. Barfing forever. A little bit of barf. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, I will see you on the page. And I'll see you on the screen. 